15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And of course, today is a special Sunday, one that people remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but as was said in Sunday school, I don't believe we've ever had a service at Open Door Bible Baptist Church in over 20 years that we've not mentioned the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the central theme to all the scripture, the fulfillment of all the prophecies. And as we will read in this chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, just to set a little bit of the context of the chapter, probably written in the neighborhood of 35 to 40 years after the events of the gospel story by the Apostle Paul to a predominantly Gentile church, a church that had some Jewish people in it, but was uh, vastly made up of people who were not Jewish of heritage and, and worship. And he is explaining to them and actually just closing in here on the last few, uh, uh, the last two chapters here of the book of Corinthians, his letter to this church had a lot of problems in Corinth, a lot of sin, a lot of worldliness, a lot of things that were just simply unknown to the churches that were primarily made up of Jewish believers because the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments that they had taught them you didn't live that way. Well, the Corinthians didn't have that. In fact, even today, in certain areas, if you want to uh, really slam someone, you can call them a Corinthian. And it means that they're a person of no moral character and and such things. And, of course, uh, in the day in which we live, that's not a problem to have no moral character today. But God hasn't changed, my friend. And Paul was writing this letter and he's summing up the message that he preached. I want us to start in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, And after that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God... I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. 
Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. This was Paul's message. If some, someone wants to describe our church, one of the simplest ways to describe this church would be to say it's a gospel-preaching church. Now, if you go on to iTunes, you will find gospel music, most of which has nothing to do with the gospel of the Bible. The gospel of the Bible is the message of Jesus Christ. It simply means, the word gospel means good news. The good news is that Christ died. Now, we say, but wait a minute. Death is bad news. No, Christ's death is good news because it was according to the Scriptures. Everything that Christ did, He did to pay the price for our sins. Many of you know the verse, and if you don't, you, you need to put it in your heart and mind, for the wages of sin is what? Tax time. Wages. Don't cheat on your taxes. Because the IRS will get you. But let me tell you, God is just a little more accurate than the IRS. His records go a little deeper. He is keeping track. The Bible tells us that the library of heaven, if we would call it that, is a series of books where every deed and every thought and everything that you've ever done has all been written down. How many of you are glad with me that that library is in heaven and not accessible by any person here on earth? Amen? You see, only God can forgive sins. And therefore, He is the one that has the record. When a person gets saved when they believe in what Jesus Christ has done, when they are willing to accept His death to pay the price for their death that is owed to God because of their sins, every entry in the book under your name is marked paid in full with the blood of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. Most religion has some way of sweeping your sins under the carpet, as we might say. Now, we live in a day of wall-to-wall carpet. You can't sweep the dirt under the carpet. But in the old days, you used to have a big rug in the middle of the room. And if company caught you unawares, you could just pick up the corner and and lay it back down, hope nobody stepped on that part of the carpet and found out what was under there, right? Most religion thinks that they can do that. They have a God that, well, he understands. Yes, he does, my friend. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's how much God understands. 
Well, God doesn't want to send anyone to hell. That's exactly correct. That's why Jesus died on the cross. So you wouldn't have to suffer death because of your sins. Someone says, but, but, but uh, not everyone has heard. The Bible says that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. And one of the greatest things that God has ever done that will drive the human soul to the gospel is understanding what sin is. How many of you can remember stories when you were a little kid? Nobody told you it was wrong. But somehow you just knew. And you did it anyway. That's sin. That is the grace of God that tells us we've got to go somewhere else to get rid of it. You see, Christ died according to the Scriptures and that He was buried. He was in the tomb three days. In fact, the Pharisees and the chief priests understood more of Jesus' prophecies than Jesus' own disciples did. When Jesus appeared to them on that first Sunday night, it says they were terrified. They supposed they had seen a spirit. But the chief priests and the Pharisees had gone in to Pilate, the Roman governor, the day after his crucifixion, and said, you know, we remember that this deceiver said that he would rise again from the grave on the third day, so we want a Roman guard to secure the tomb. Because we know that's not going to happen. But we don't want the disciples stealing the body and lying about it, and then we would really have a mess. Now you could just imagine this Roman governor he knows all the manipulation and things that they did to force him to give a commandment to have Jesus crucified. And then they come in the next day and want, to play, and want a guard to protect the tomb. I think Pilate was a pretty frustrated governor, don't you? You know, the greatest hindrance to believing the Bible record is not politics. It's religion. The Bible tells us that Jesus died according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. God gave some proofs as recorded in our scripture that Jesus truly did rise again from the dead. It's interesting that of what we know from the Bible and from other historical records, that not one of the 11 apostles ever recanted their belief that Jesus rose again from the dead. 
that the Apostle Paul, when he was finally put on trial, refused to deny his belief that Jesus had risen from the dead. Many people have offered all kinds of crazy excuses as to why the Bible could not be true in this point. But as we go through our chapter today, as we go through our text, there's reason to believe that Jesus Christ truly did die and that he truly rose again from the dead. I love the story they tell, and I don't know all the details of it, just little bits of it, but it was a big uh, communist gathering. This was in the former, within the sphere of the former Soviet Union, and the representative of the Communist Party, whether he was the actual dictator or one of the leaders there, says, see, we've eradicated God, and there was a, a religious leader of some kind there, and he says, let me prove to you that you have not. And he just walked out on the balcony there, and everybody got quiet, and he just said, he is risen. And all of a sudden, the entire crowd turned back the answer that has been traditional in that part of the country since the days of the Apostle Paul. He is risen indeed. I'll tell you what. We are not here to prove or disprove what Jesus did. I am here to preach. And as the Apostle Paul said, therefore whether it were I or they, so we preach. Verse 11, and so ye believe. You have to make a choice. You cannot be born a Christian. No one was born saved. The simple truth is, we were all born sinners. We were born in Adam's image, marred by sin that dates back to the Garden of Eden. And people want to argue and say this and that, but let me... Just simply say that what Adam and Eve did in the garden, every human being, man, woman, and child, has repeated in their own lives. So we're not here to sit in judgment of Adam because we've already done what he has done. What we're here to do is to preach Jesus because he did what no man could do. He never sinned. And when it came time to die, it was the innocent dying in the place of the guilty. You know, there are many times in our lives, even after you're saved, you don't stop sinning. I I wish that were the case, don't you? But how many sins did Jesus die for on the cross? All of them. He paid for them all so that we can believe in him And have forgiveness. There's no greater message. It's interesting all the religions of the world. Many of which call themselves Christian religions. As you examine them a little closer. Oh yes we believe in Jesus. We believe he died on the cross. How do you get to heaven? 
Oh, that's a difficult question. Nobody really knows the answer. Well, the Apostle John wrote, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Paul wrote here in the verses we just read, Wherein ye stand, it says, By which also ye are saved. This whole book was written so you could know your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. You see, church isn't about you working out a deal with God to get rid of your sins. It's about you accepting what Jesus Christ has already done to pay for your sins. Then the rest of your life can be spent fighting against yourself, the world in which we live, the society of which we are a part of, to struggle together as a church to be as obedient to the word of God as we possibly can be. Amen? That is the message which Paul preached. Paul wasn't the only preacher. Paul died, as far as we know, somewhere in the late 60s, possibly uh, early 70 A.D. Nobody knows the exact date, but somewhere around 68 A.D., Paul died. But Paul wasn't the first preacher There were preachers before Paul. And by the way, Paul wasn't the last preacher of the gospel. They have continued down through the ages even to this day. And you say, how can you know you're preaching what Paul did? Well, that's real easy. I quote him often. Amen. We just use the same book. We follow what he says. And Paul comes on down here, and I'd like to make a a point. He says... In verse 12, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? You know what? This idea of denying the resurrection is nothing new. And Paul begins to come down and we'll skip over most of these verses. Read them later if you have a chance. But the simple truth is, if Christ did not raise from the dead, then our faith is vain and everything we believe is worthless. Paul summed it up this way in verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. He said, if in this life only we have hope of Christ, Christ did not live die, be buried, and raise again just to give you a good life while you're here on earth. I wish I had a dollar for every person to say, well, pastor, all I want is just to have a good life and be happy. Uh, You and about six and a half, almost seven billion other people, right? But what did Jesus say? He said, I'll give you joy. And that joy no man taketh from you. He says, 
I've come to give you peace. You know, the reason why men fight with other men is because they cannot be at peace with themselves. And there's only one way you can be at peace with yourself. You must first be at peace with God. This is the message of the gospel. But look what Paul says. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Afterwards, they that are Christ at his coming. And we'll stop our reading right there. You know, it doesn't take a very intelligent person, a very aware person, someone that has at least some cognitive thinking ability to look around in the world in which we live and say, things are bad. I mean, it doesn't take much to figure that out. But how many of you have ever read the history books? You know what? Things were bad in the 1930s. Things were real bad. I remember my aunt talking to me. She said, we got married in the Depression. She said, a loaf of bread cost a nickel. She said, but you didn't have the nickel to go buy it. That sounds so silly to us today. But let me tell you, things were bad. Uh, Do you know that things were bad in the 1890s in the South as they rebuilt from the Civil War? Uh, Do you know that things were bad in the 1860s and the 1840s? How many of you have ever heard of the panic of 1837 that almost bankrupt this entire nation worse than any of the other things that have happened? Uh, Do you think things were bad during the revolution? Uh, Let me tell you, things were bad. Do you know that every generation that has ever lived has recorded in the annals of their history that we have access to, have said they've lived in the worst times of any generation that has ever preceded them. Uh, Let me tell you what the Bible says. Things were bad in the days of Noah. Uh, Things were really bad. In fact, it was so bad that God gave this earth in a bath. And the only ones that survived was Noah and his family. You believe that? Yes, I believe what the Bible says. You know, they keep making all of these ideas. All the dinosaurs were extincted by an asteroid hitting the earth. Well, now the new one is a volcano erupted. Well, let me tell you, what would happen if there was a huge flood and the water went into the volcanoes? Ah, Bad things. And that's what happened because that's what the Bible says. 
But you see, my hope in Jesus is not in this life alone. This life is going to be a struggle. In fact, I don't know anybody that has ever lived life without struggle. Do you? Struggle is what life is about. And yet, Jesus got through life. And he offers peace on the other side. Peace with God. A place where there is no sin and no temptation. Just a little over a week ago, we laid my mother to rest. One of the greatest comforts of the whole situation there. She's no longer suffering. My mother had a lot of pain and a lot of disease in her body in her last weeks and months. But I'll tell you what. The Bible says that Jesus was the first fruits. He came back from death. And that one day we will be joined with him. Everything in his order. You see, my hope is not limited to this time here on earth. Somebody says, oh, you just believe pie in the sky by and by. No, I believe Jesus in the sky by and by. And there ain't no pie ever made that compares to him, amen? Now look what it says here. Let's read here, verse 26, or let's start in 24. Let's just pick this up. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, talking about Jesus, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power, for, me, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him and that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. You see... We're going to answer to Christ. The Pharisees and the enemies of Jesus while he was here on earth, Jesus told them, he said, you think that I am saying I'm going to judge you on that day. He says, I'm not going to judge you. He says, Moses is going to judge you. We live in a day when the Ten Commandments are just out of sync with modern society. Uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Do you think it would solve some of the problems in Washington if we got rid of the politicians who thought they were smarter than God? It says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image and fall down and worship then. You know, we don't have 
temples like they did in the ancient world. But we have places where people go and they worship false gods. They're called casinos and nightclubs, halls of justice, politic congress. There are people that worship the human mind. What a silly thing to worship. You fall down the wrong way and hit your head, your mind's all gone. And yet people worship it. They worship in libraries. Oh, let's not forget the basketball games today. People worship all kinds of things. They have posters of human debris plastered all over their thing. I was walking in a Kmart years ago, and they were advertising a new rock group. It was called Garbage. And I looked at the sign in my mild, shy, thumb-sucking way and said, Hey, they finally got it right! And Julia's going, Be quiet, be quiet. People worship all kinds of things. They worship power, do they not? How about, thou shalt not kill. It's amazing to me that the people who say, thou shalt not kill the seals are all for murdering the little babies before they're born. And those that commit murder, they want them to go free because thou shalt not kill, but it's okay for them to kill. You ever figured that out? Thou shalt not commit adultery. You know what? There used to be a law in every 50 of these United States that you could be criminally prosecuted for adultery. You know what? Was it a better United States back then than it is today? Let me tell you, it was. You know what? You didn't have keys for your car. Because who would steal your car? It's the way it was. I love the way Brother Clayton put it. He said, we always left the back door open. He says, because if one of the neighbors needed to borrow something they couldn't get in, then they wouldn't be able to borrow it. And so we always left the back door open. Don't do that today. I just got a problem with thou shalt not steal today. Or thou shalt not bear false witness. I mean, these are the Ten Commandments. I have yet to meet anyone who's trying to keep the Ten Commandments to go to heaven that could even tell me more than one or two. But honor thy father and thy mother. These are God's laws. God's laws convict us of sin. It is the work of Jesus Christ that died on the cross to pay the price for those sins. His resurrection from the dead that gives me hope 
that even though I have sinned, I can be with him on the other side. Because you see, whether you believe so or not, you're going to answer to Jesus Christ. That's what it means by he's going to subdue all things to himself. Paul, when he wrote the book of Philippians, said, Every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Somebody asked me a little while ago, uh, does that mean just one knee? No, it means both knees, flat on your face. Because you're either going to submit to God in this life, or you will submit to him in the life to come. Because he is the one that paid the price for your sins. People often ask over the years, well, how can a God of love, this is one of the world's favorite questions, how can a God of love send anybody to a place called hell? Well, excuse me, what is he supposed to do after he sent his son to live among us for 33 and a half years and to die on the cross to pay the price for every sin of every human being that could ever live and keep all of the records to prove everything that he's ever said in heaven and you say no, what is he supposed to do, my friend? What else can he do? What else could he have done so that you could be free? This is what your Bible is about, my friend. Let's go down here to Verse 49. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall... All be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. You see, Jesus is going to change all things. You say, how is that going to happen? Uh, Paul said, behold, I show you a mystery. It says, corruption 
that is you and I in our fleshly body, cannot inherit the kingdom, cannot inherit incorruption. Therefore, he's got to change us. That's why each one of us must walk through that veil of the valley of the shadow of death. If you don't have Jesus, it's not the valley of the shadow of death, but it's into eternal death and eternal separation from God. The decision is made in this lifetime. I am looking for the change. Amen? I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. And best of all, I don't even have to be concerned. What I do need to be concerned about is being steadfast. That means holding to what you already have. Unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because what you do to serve Christ in this life is not vain if it's done in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, what Paul did in one chapter is sum up his entire message and his preaching. You notice the word church isn't mentioned there. He was writing to a church You see, church doesn't save you. Church can't take away your salvation. In fact, you can't be a member of this church until after you get your salvation settled. Amen? Because church is the place where you live for Christ. It's not a place where you try to earn something that Jesus already paid for. Amen? Church is a place where I get encouraged to live for Jesus. Church is a place when I'm walking through the difficult times of life, I can feel the unseen hands of those prayers holding me up and supporting me. Church is a place when I see others walking through the difficult times of life that I can give words of encouragement and prayer and see them go through the struggles of life. Church is a place where I can take my little bit of effort and put it together with others and see God do incredible things. I went to the doctor for my yearly checkup, and he's saying, well, what, what about that little church over there? What's it like? And I said... We're, we're an independent church. He said, well, what does that mean? I said, well, we don't have any overseeing group telling us what to do. He says, well, how do you live? I said, well, we take one offering a week. And he says, so what happens when you have to pay the electric bill? And what happens when... I said, well, our, our people give. We have no due system. We don't exact money from anyone. I said, and we have enough money to pay all the bills and pay the salaries. And I said, by the way, we sent out just under $90,000 last year, 88 and some odd thousand dollars to foreign missions. And mission. And his eyes got big. Wow, you do pretty good for one offering. 
I said, well, if God's got your heart, he's got your wallet too, amen? You see, it doesn't seem like much if you just look at yourself. But when you serve God through a church, all of a sudden it becomes a lot. Amen? And while our one little church may not be a lot compared to the world in which we live, there are thousands upon thousands of other little churches. Somebody said, well, how many Baptists are there? Only God knows. There's no controlling entity. You don't go somewhere to get counted. You say, well, how did you become a preacher? Well, my pastor, Roy Thompson, who's now in heaven, led the Cleveland Baptist Church to ordain me as a Baptist preacher in 1989. A few years ago, we ordained as our church, Brother Hiram Davis. And guess what? Sometime this year, depending on the details, we're going to be ordaining Brother Mike Newberger. I'm looking forward to that. Churches ordain preachers. Churches start churches. Church isn't mentioned here at all. But let me tell you, the whole letter is in context of the local church. That's where you're supposed to serve. That's the only way you can be steadfast is to have some other people helping you. Amen? Is to be able to help some other people along. You see, today is Easter Sunday. We remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But that resurrection had a purpose. It was to prove that he had the right to claim he paid for my sins. Amen? It was to prove that he is God. And that he has the right to demand a change in my behavior. He has the right to demand that I should believe in him if I want to go to heaven to be with him. He has the right to determine how he will do it. And he deserves our service and our worship and our life. Because he died on the cross according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. If you're saved today, you believe that. If you don't believe that, I must challenge you. You do not have what this book called the Bible, called salvation. It only comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only way you can have salvation. And we'll invite you today, if you have not done that, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've stepped out of the way, guess what? He paid for every sin on the cross. Just come back to him and talk to him about it. Amen? And if you're just struggling with life, let me tell you something. That's where you're going to get help.
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we're thankful that you died on the cross according to the scriptures. That you were buried and you rose again and Lord that by believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ we can have forgiveness and eternal salvation. Lord, I pray that you would work in hearts today. That you would give us what we need to serve you. Lord, I pray for those that are here today and may not have trusted you as their Savior yet. Lord, it is the most important decision of a person's entire life. We would not trivialize it by just saying pray a prayer in a group. Lord... Each individual must pray in their own heart to God to receive Him as their Lord and their Savior. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. And if because of our humanness and our misunderstanding and our sin and our problems, Lord, that cannot be the day. We ask that there would at least be a willingness in that heart to tug a, a step in the right direction closer to the Savior. Lord, I pray for others who are just struggling with life and facing the difficulties that they would remember that it is Jesus who sets the parameters of our service and our labor. It is to Him that we answer and that nothing done in Jesus' name for His sake is in vain. Lord, we ask that you would keep us looking for that any moment change that is coming. We ask that you would work, that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's.